on the battlefield. He is a giant of a man, and he's talking a lot of junk, too. His deep voice echoes through the valley between the two armies. Come on, you chickens, send someone out to fight me, to defeat me. He's ready to fight. And you would probably do what all the other Israelites were doing, cower in fear. Stay away from him. You'd be filled with fear and hopelessness. Who could go against that guy? Nobody. But let's suppose you're feeling particularly grumpy and strong and self-confident that morning. And so you maybe think he's all talk. And the, the taller they are, the harder they fall. And maybe you puff out your chest a bit and you think uh, that you're a beast. You're going into beast mode. You're ready to take on this guy. You think you can do it. And you walk out to meet him. Well, it wouldn't end well, would it? It would certainly end very badly for each and every one of us. Well, I think there's a, a, a lesson here. I know the main point of the story of David and Goliath isn't merely about how you can kill all the giants in your lives. But it is a legitimate lesson that we could learn here. I think there's a legitimate metaphor that can may, be made here as far as how we face certain trials or temptations, how we face certain difficulties in our lives. Some of you, when you're faced with a trial of a particular sort or a temptation or of, uh, to sin in a certain way, you react in hopelessness and you resign yourself to the fact that you're going to sin and you simply give in to it, give in to fear or to that particular trial or temptation or sin others of you may be prone to self-confidence you're strident you know you have the strength to face anything you know maybe that you aren't uh, particularly tempted by certain sins that other people are tempted with and so you know you don't have to worry about this particular sin or that particular sin you are sure of yourself that you can stand the test in your own strength Well, I think our text today has something to say to both of these sorts of people. And maybe all of us fall in one category or the other at certain times in our lives. These two reactions sound quite different, but they actually have the same root. Both of them look inward to one's own strength or abilities. The hopeless person looks within and despairs because he knows he doesn't have what it takes. And the self-confident person looks within And is deceived thinking that he does have what it takes to stand the test. But God calls both of these people to repentance. To turn their eyes ultimately away from themselves and their own abilities and their own strengths. And to turn their eyes of faith toward him. Because he is the faithful one. He is the the mighty one. He is the one who will save us and give us strength and grace to face our trials and temptations. The theme of our text this morning is this. Because God is faithful, we can face temptation with confidence when we trust in Him. It's because of His faithfulness that we can face temptation. But it's not in our own strength. It is as we look in faith to Him that we can be strong in the face of trials and temptations. Follow along as I read our text. 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 14. Now these things happened to them, he's talking about the Israelites, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of ages has come. 
Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Our Father, we pray that you would give us understanding, that you would give us wisdom as we hear from your word, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might not only be informed in our minds, but that we might be changed, that we might be sanctified each day. Help us to take this word with us throughout the week, that we might consider it, that we might meditate it day and on it day and night, that we might consider it as we lay on our beds at night, as we wake up in the morning, that we might treasure your word in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Each of our headings this morning begins with the word look. And I think Paul intends us to consider, to look at these certain things. Paul invites us first to look at the example of Israel. We did that in large part last week as we considered the sins they were guilty of. We are also called to look out for ourselves. So there is a sense in which we look to ourselves, guarding ourselves, bewaring, uh, being aware of our inability, being aware that we might indeed fall. And ultimately, we are invited to look to God for grace and strength in order that we might bear up under trials and temptations. So last week, we saw the particular temptations that some of the Corinthians were facing. Paul warns them not to crave evil as the Israelites did in the wilderness, not to go after foreign gods, not to make idols, not to commit idolatry or sexual immorality, not to put the Lord of the Lord to the test and not to grumble. And Paul says, look at this example from Israel and learn from it. Look at them. He says, these happened to those as examples and were written for our instruction. So, of course, it would have been no use to those who went through these things to have them written down. They were going through them at the time. But for us, it's a huge benefit. Consider what a kindness of God it is that he gives us the example of the Israelites to learn from. John Calvin says that these are types or examples in which God is placing his judgments before our eyes. He's painting a picture for us of what happens when one follows the course of many of the Israelites. The word instruction here has the connotation of warning, something to avoid, certain attitudes, certain behaviors that you should turn away from or avoid. In other words, the goal of learning from this example is not simply that we should have our minds filled with information concerning just about Israel and the judgments they faced and the things that they went through. Rather, we should be moved by these examples to really behave in a certain way to aim for certain attitudes and behaviors, to live in a way that shuns idolatry, that shuns sin, and that seeks to live for the glory of God. It is such a kindness from God to not simply let us walk through life without any record of His people throughout history, without any record of their sins or their judgments, the things that they've gone through. We'd have to figure it all out for ourselves. By our own trial and error. And this is the part of the sermon last week that everybody said amen amen to when I was talking about parents and children. And now you know I expect that regularly, right? 
So you've got you've to keep that coming. But think about all the ways you've learned from history in your life. The, the mistakes you've learned from, the sins you've learned from in the past. Things that you no longer do, things that you avoid because you've done them in the past and you don't want to live through that again. So my brother and I, when we were kids, we used to play baseball in the backyard all the time. And sometimes we decided to get a little creative in the way that we played baseball. So you've got a baseball bat. Hey, there's a basketball lying right there. Why don't I roll the basketball to you, dear brother, and you hit it with the baseball bat. And so I, I rolled it like you would roll a kickball to my brother Luke. And he had the baseball bat and he swung the bat as hard as he could. But instead of the usual follow-through, what do you think happened? Instead of the usual follow-through, the bat made a beeline straight to his forehead. (laughs) And it was very painful. And I made a mental note to myself at that moment. Every time I had a baseball in my hands and there was a basketball lying close by, there was something going on in my mind that said, do not hit that basketball. Never do that. And I, I don't think I've ever done that. Again, because I learned from that mistake. I remember what happened. I remember the, the, the metaphorical judgment that took place on my brother at that time. Well, take a mental note, brothers and sisters. This is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Take a mental note and remember the course that many of the Israelites took. Remember the judgments they suffered. He, went, he detailed the judgments last week. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Over 20,000 fell in a single day because of their sin. Learn from the sins of the Israelites. Learn it well. Look to their example and avoid it as you consider the sin that you are facing. Whether it be anger or pride or sexual immorality, whether it, it be any number of sins, that the Israelites committed, grumbling even. Remember the lesson to be learned from the Israelites. Remember, take heed. After all, Paul says, we are the ones on whom the end of the ages has come. The great age of fulfillment was inaugurated when Jesus Christ came and lived on the earth and died on the cross and rose again from the dead. We are living in the period Before the very end, brothers and sisters, in light of the age in which we live, in light of how soon Christ may return, let us be on guard and remember, take heed, look to the example of the Israelites and learn from their example and determine to live for the glory of God. The time is short. We must live for Him. But second, we ought to look out for ourselves. We should look to the example of the Israelites, and that should cause us to look out. Paul continues, These were written down for our instruction, so that he who thinks he stands, let him look out lest he fall. Let him beware lest he fall. Remember, many of the Corinthians were puffed up with pride. They think they're wise, they think they're spiritual, they think they're strong, they think they're righteous in this particular context. They think they can go into the temple of idols in which these worshipful ceremonies were taking place, these ritual ceremonies in which meat was sacrificed to idols, be a part of that and partake of these sacrificed animals and eat the meat all with no harm done. After all, they know there's nothing involved really with those idols. There's nothing really going on here. Well, we learn next week 
that there is something really going on. There is no God but one. These are idols of wood and stone. And yet, what these Corinthians don't realize is that their attitude of self-confidence makes them especially susceptible to falling. Don't you know that's the truth? Paul addresses this to the one who thinks he stands. In other words, the one who makes a subjective self-assessment of themselves, which could turn out to be accurate or inaccurate. This is the one who thinks he's not like those people. He is not like the Israelites. He can stand firm against the temptation to idolatry or to sexual temptation or to grumbling against the Lord. He has looked at himself and he thinks he finds spiritual strength and he doesn't think he can fall. And you know, that is a very, very dangerous place to stand, right? A wise man tests out the ice before he steps in on it, but a fool jumps right in with both feet. He thinks he's fine. A wise man enjoys the ocean, but he remembers the power of the sea. A fool jumps in and doesn't have a care about the riptide. A wise man knows his weakness as a sinful and limited human being. But a fool thinks he can endure all things in his own strength. One will remain firm, being on guard, looking out for himself, and the other will be swept out to the sea. Paul's invitation here is to look out, to take heed, to, beha- to beware, to be careful, to wat- be watchful so that he won't fall. We should become a little nervous if we hear ourselves thinking something like, well, I've never really struggled with that sin, so I'm okay. I'm good. It would be foolish to think we're not prone to idolatry as well since we don't have little idols of wood and stone laying around, we might think we're okay. But in fact, maybe we should be more vigilant since we can't see physically sometimes the idols of our own hearts. Idolatry is just as prevalent now as it ever has been. For in the heart of a man, he worships his possessions or his power or his family or some other good gift God has given. We turn the gift into the God. So brothers and sisters, let us take heed, beware of all kinds of sin and perhaps especially the ones you think you are immune to. Because misplaced self-confidence is deceptive. The psalmist tells us pride goes before the fall, right? Love this passage. John Calvin makes a wonderful statement, very insightful. He says there are two kinds of confidence, two kinds of assurance And I'm breaking the rule of good sermons because you're not supposed to quote too long of a passage. But this is really good. It's really helpful. Listen to these wise words and examine your own heart by them. He says, The one kind of assurance is that which rests on the promises of God. Because a pious conscience feels assured that God will never bring anything to it. And relying on this unconquerable persuasion triumphs boldly and intrepidly over Satan and sin, and yet nevertheless keeping his mind on his own infirmity casts itself upon God, and with carefulness and anxiety commits itself to him. This kind of assurance is sacred and is inseparable from faith, as appears from many passages of Scripture, and especially 
Romans 8, 33. The other kind of assurance rises from negligence. When men puffed up with the gifts that they have give themselves no concern as if they were beyond the reach of danger but rest satisfied with their condition. Hence it is that they are exposed to all the assaults of Satan. This is the kind of assurance which Paul would have the Corinthians to abandon because he saw that they were satisfied with themselves under the influence of a silly conceit. He does not, however, exhort them to be always anxiously in doubt as to the will of God or to tremble from uncertainty as as to their salvation as papists dream. He's got to throw a shot in there against the... uh, the, pa- the Pope, the papist. In short, let us bear in mind that Paul is here addressing persons who are puffed up with a base confidence in the flesh, in themselves, and represses that assurance which is grounded upon men, not upon God. These two sorts of assurance. One is placed firmly in the promises of God and one is placed in oneself. So then where is your assurance? Where is your confidence, your faith? Look out for yourselves, Paul says, so that you might not fall. But finally, Paul invites us to look to the Lord. And this is, this is sweet relief. As we have seen the warnings uh, to the Corinthians concerning the Israelites, as we hear the call to pay attention to ourselves, to be careful, to beware, he now gives us precious promises concerning the faithfulness of God. He invites us to look at the Lord and particularly to see him as faithful and active in helping us in our time of need. So there are two encouragements in this verse, verse 13. It's almost as if Paul, having severely warned the Corinthian brothers and sisters about following the example of the Israelites, now wants to comfort them in case their consciences have become afflicted. Paul wants to afflict those who are comfortable. And those who are comfortable... He wants, and those who are afflicted, he wants rather to comfort. But if there are some afraid, if there are some who have begun to worry or despair because of these warnings, he gives them grace. So this is the first encouragement. No temptation has overtaken you except human temptations and trials. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to humanity. Now it's possible and some have thought that Paul means this as a, a slight rebuke. The sense in that uh, way would be, these temptations are nothing new. They're nothing out of the ordinary. So why do you keep falling into these things? But with the rest of verse 13, I, I rather take them as an encouragement. So in that sense, it would mean something like, take heart, brothers and sisters. You're not facing anything out of the ordinary human experience of trials and temptations you can face these things with god's help take heart be encouraged and the second encouragement has to do with the nature and character of god namely that god is faithful he is faithful in all your trials and temptations now sometimes when we think of god's character we might think of it in abstract ways but paul shows us god's faithfulness isn't some abstract idea isn't some passive attribute god is faithful and he demonstrates it by being active to help us in our time of need notice how god shows his faithfulness to us in the midst of trials and temptations you'll hear me say trials and temptations because this word can refer to both of those things 
uh, really it's, it's easy to, to reconcile in your mind as well. Because he could be referring to temptations. Or what if he is referring to trials? Well, we face certain temptations in the midst of trials. Especially in the midst of trials. He shows us his faithfulness first in the midst of temptation by what he withholds from us. Notice this. He is faithful in what God withholds from us. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. This is a great comfort. This is a great comfort to us. Think about what this means. One implication of this is that you have a certain ability by the grace of God to face temptation. Right? We shouldn't think proudly of ourselves in our own strength. But it's also wrong, and I think we sometimes fall into this trap of thinking we are totally helpless against temptation. That there's nothing we can do to face temptation. But you can face temptations by the strength and by the grace which God provides. He says He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. And another implication here is that God knows the limits of your ability. God knows the threshold of your pain. He knows what you can and can't handle. And not only does He know that limit, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So Christians hear this. This is a promise of God's faithfulness. And you might say, well, He sure has allowed some terrible temptations to enter into my life. But to that He says, I know your abilities. I know your frame. I know your temptations. I know your limits. I know your weaknesses. Nothing which I have allowed is beyond your ability in my grace and in my strength. God shows his faithfulness to us by, with, by what he withholds. But second, he shows his faithfulness to us in what he gives to us. Look at the final verse of part of verse 13. He says, together with the temptation or trial, God will make a way out, an exit, an escape for you to be able to bear up under it. We all know the words of a song we sang in churches many years ago by Don Moen. says, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. So brothers and sisters, when you are facing a trial or temptation and a voice in your mind says there's no way out, you might as well give up and give in to fear and sin and temptation. Give in. Just give up. Resign yourself to it. Know that these are not the words of our faithful Jesus. These are lies from the devil. You may feel like there's no way out. You may not see an escape route. But rest assured, there is one. The image Paul gives here is as if you are trapped or seem trapped in a cave. There's no way out and the enemy is approaching and you you see no way to escape. And yet hidden away, maybe out of sight in the darkness, there is a way out. It's as if Paul is remembering the Israelites as they were escaping from Egypt and they, they are massed together at the edge of the Red Sea and they say, why have you brought us here? There's nowhere to go. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt for us? Why did you have to bring us out here? And the enemy is approaching. And God says, Moses, lift out your staff over the waters. And a way was provided for them. 
a way of escape when there seemed to be nowhere to go. God made a way. And he will make a way out so that you may be able to endure the temptation or the trial. It's amazing what strength you can have when you see hope. And there is hope because of God's faithfulness. The reason we know he will provide a way of escape is because he promises to do so. And this promise is by his sheer grace to us who are in Christ. He will make a way for us because Christ, in his ultimate trial, refused to take a way of escape in his suffering and death. He withstood every temptation and he stayed loyal to his father. But when he hung on the cross, he earned every spiritual blessing for you who are in Christ. He has forgiven your sins. He has brought you into his family. He has strengthened you by his spirit to withstand temptation. And he has promised to provide a way out of temptation so that you may bear up under it. So that you may remain strengthened under it to endure it. So, brothers and sisters, my loved ones, as Paul says... Flee idolatry. Run away from it. Withstand it. Reject it. In all your trials, in all your temptations, wherever you go and whatever you do, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. For He is faithful. Now you are not strong enough on your own to endure it, but neither are you hopeless and doomed to fail. Look to God who is faithful. Look to Christ who bled and died for you and rose again. Look to the Spirit who indwells you and empowers you and put your trust in Him. Let us pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to take heed to this passage, that we would look out for ourselves, that we would be on guard against the temptations which come against us on a daily basis basis they are relentless father and sometimes we feel so helpless and hopeless but i pray that you would help us to having looked upon ourselves in order to take heed turn our eyes to you so that we would have hope knowing that by your grace by the the strength that you provide in christ jesus we can face trials with confidence with hope knowing that you are faithful, knowing that you will not let us be tempted beyond what we are able, but along with the trial, along with the temptation, you will give us a way of escape that we might endure it. We thank you for your promises, Father. In Christ's name, amen.